but just having her to talk us through and and not be judgmental like she's really just been truly encouraging of us like it feels like 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 we have like a cheerleader in a sense and she's really realistic and she jokes with us too and it's like I mean I think we we put so much on ourselves where you kind of feel like a failure where you haven't gotten it right you're like okay we're you know in our mid-30s now (sighs) and we haven't figured this out we still haven't been able to buy a house like we have kids we're doing all this stuff like oh we're failing we're failing and then um to have that conversation where it's like actually you're not you know you're just on a different trajectory and it's going to take time and it's going to take patience but she like would remind us like look at what you've done look at how far you've come look at the work you've already put in she's like y'all have this you can do it to the point where like last month Russell made an amazing spreadsheet (laughs) and like (laughs) it's been that's been a game changer in the past two months with with just that and that wouldn't I mean 17 years together (laughs) I didn't even know he could I didn't even know he could use Excel Welcome to episode 15 of Real Stories, Journeys of Financial Wellness. I'm your host, Crystal Luxema. If you or a loved one has a medical condition, you may be dealing with financial stress and a number of other obstacles. Today's story is about resilience in the face of these obstacles, certainly financial resilience, and as you'll hear, so much more. It features Whitney and Russell, a couple we met through our financial coaching program. Let's jump into their amazing journey. Whitney, Russell, welcome to the podcast today. Um, The first question I have for each of you is, I understand that you both came from single mom households, but you had, of course, as everyone might, had different experiences and influences growing up when it comes to money. Could you each speak to how your experiences shaped your approach to money? I primarily lived with my great-grandmother, and I was kind of like her really the only, I guess, child in her life. And she spoiled me rotten, honestly. We had every Monday was toy day. I got given so much stuff, like given a, a my own room. Like she definitely went out of her way to make sure I was well provided for. But it didn't really give me a a very strong basis on how to deal with finances or anything like that. And she was a little um, out of the box with how she approached it because she owned her own candy company and literally worked everything out of her apartment. So finances were, you know... I want to say kind of hit or miss. I mean, we were never like without, but it it did get kind of sketchy from time to time. So when I met Whitney, it was like, um, 
I, I had a very poor relationship with finances. Yeah, I, I did too. Cause for, for us, it's similar in that regards. Um, my, when my parents divorced, um, most of my family is entrepreneurs. And so my dad has his own company that he had with his sisters and it actually became a national company. Um, and it was very good. So I kind of grew, have grown up with like a split view living with my mom. She was in the food industry. So from fast food to bartending to catering to eventually being a partner in a catering company. Um, but all throughout with my mom, we would always have feast or famine. So when winter comes along and it's the holidays with Hanukkah and Christmas and New Year's parties, um, it would be buying so much stuff and a new truck and what have you. And then come the famine of summer, it would be like repossession of truck and issues with lights and what have you. Um, so that it's always kind of like that for us. Um, Russell and I are actually high school sweethearts. And so we we went to a high school in North Texas that was really affluent. And that was also part of that issue was um, while we are now the Joneses, kind of there is that keeping up with the Joneses appearances um, that comes with that too. And then not talking about when you're struggling, like you just don't air that out. You don't talk. If, if there's an issue with the bill getting paid late, you don't talk. Um, and then it would be juxtaposed against with my dad's side of the family where it's elaborate, all out, and everyone's incredibly successful. And so we would go to all the holidays and experiences with that and see the excess. But um, I never had the lessons or the information shared with the how. How, how did they build up their wealth? How did they maintain their wealth? Like, how did they save? So, um, and I still haven't ever had those conversations with my dad, which I, I wish, I wish I had that information because they've been incredibly successful. Um, but we are very independent in that regards. And, and that's been good too. Um, because it's had us kind of do things on our own and we have struggled. <laughs> We've done a little bit more feast and famine than I'm proud to say. Um, but it's trying to come out of that, to break that cycle and to make sure that our children are educated and not repeating this. We don't want this to be like a generational thing. So you, you spoke to the fact that you were high school sweethearts. And mm -hmm. so I understand that you, you moved in together early on in your college, uh, college age. Um, We'll start with you, Whitney, in this one. What was your mindset and expectations going in, and how did it eventually play out? Russell actually proposed to me within that first year when we were like eighteen and nineteen. He already proposed, and it took five. It took five years to get married, to get the financials and everything set in place. But um, that being said, it also came out of both of us just not being in a good place. Um, so Rel Russell was raised with his great-grandmother. She had terminal cancer um, that was spreading and she needed to be cared for. So she moved in with her sister and his great aunt couldn't take care of him too. And, you know, we graduated from high school at that point. And then my mom had uh, married my, well, she was about to marry my stepdad, but her boyfriend at the time moved in. And he was incredible, but he was also an alcoholic. And so it just wasn't a good living situation. Um, so we just out of necessity, we knew we had to move. We did start um, spending the first semester of college 
working and saving up and like buying dishes, like the cheap, cheap dishes from Walmart and everything, just like storing them in our rooms, like waiting and building up our deposit. Um, So I'm glad we had enough time to do that, but it came kind of out of necessity and there was a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, (laughs) A lot of mistakes. (laughs) And that is, that's fine. Like where there's a will, there's a way. And luckily we've always been pretty stubborn (laughs) to figure it out. It definitely wasn't easy, but it it was really fun. I mean, it 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 was like a whole new world opened up, and we were kind of almost newborns in this new world, just kind of discovering things as we went along. Um, it <laughs> Whitney is right; it did take some time to to accrue the material stuff we needed for an apartment, but. It didn't hurt that we also worked at Walmart, so got that discount, you know. So so I know about, give or take, about 10 years ago, you described three milestones that you guys experienced. Um, Whitney, I know you had completed your bachelor's degree, you guys got married, and you had the birth of your, of your son. Um, tell me about those milestones, and specifically if and how money might have played a role in them in some way. So um, I was in college. I took the seven-year bachelor's route, you know, the longer term. So whenever we were in college, we knew we wanted to get married. And we did while I was still working through my bachelor's. Um, And so I I didn't realize that by getting married that I would all of a sudden be dropped off of insurance um, by my dad in, in November. And so we didn't really like think about that because you're in college, you're healthy. And I had like a part-time job um, teaching swimming, but it wasn't anything like grand. Um, and so then after that, <laughs> we we found out we were pregnant four months into our pregnancy because we we're actually told we'd never have children. We were told by four doctors, um, three OBGYNs and an endocrinologist that it just wasn't going to happen. I have a lot of um, feminine issues. So it was a surprise. Um, I thought I was sick from allergies and it turned out I had a baby. (laughs) Um, And at that point, pre-existing health conditions were still a thing. And so what we had done was we had taken a pregnancy test. One said yes, and one said no. And my mom was like, go to Planned Parenthood and they'll they'll tell you. And then that became pre-existing. So I couldn't be added to Russell's insurance at the time. Um, but we were so poor, <laughs> we were so tight that we actually found out, um, and we weren't using it, but we found out that we qualified for assistance, like government assistance. So like WIC and Medicaid or Medicare? Uh, it's Medicaid. Medicaid. There we go. Yeah. And um, food stamps. Like we were, we, we didn't realize we were that poor. We didn't have didn't know. Um, so our son came into the world and he was free <laughs> to have. Um, our daughter later on, we experienced paying with insurance. <laughs> so she's always been more expensive <laughs> since birth. <laughs> but yeah, um, so we did. We had our son and it was an interesting time because after we had our son, not long after, Russell got sick. And that was... Um, a huge turning point for us too, because we're figuring everything out in that study. Um, But I knew, like, I knew I was like, I have to finish my degree. Like we have to go, (laughs) we can do this, but it just, yep. It wasn't very steady. (laughs) So you had alluded to Russell getting sick. And so um, 
Now, for our listeners, March 11th, 2020, I know for me, it's a day etched in the minds of many people because that was the day that things kind of got real with regards to the pandemic. Um, Mm -hmm. But exactly 10 years earlier, March 11th, 2010, I know your lives were changed forever. Um, So I'm interested to hear, obviously, you'll have different recollections of of the day, as as you'll see why in a second. So perhaps let me start with Russell. What was your recollection of of that day, if you have any? Well, um, the day before, um, my back was hurting. Uh, well, I don't know it was, if it was the day before, but a few days before, my, my lower back really started to hurt. And um, it hurt so bad that I decided to go to the ER and just have them check it out. Because, you know, I figured I managed a warehouse in Austin. I moved around boxes all day. Maybe I, I did something to it. Maybe I, like, tweaked my back or something. So I went to the a- ER. They gave me... Um, they gave me um, an opiate and a muscle relaxer. So then March 11th rolled around and I woke up and I was just feeling really weird. I don't know how to describe it. It was almost like um, I was inebriated. But in the morning, uh, Whitney was getting ready to school because I used to drop my our son off to daycare before I would head to work and she would be in class to like eight or nine at night. So I, I can't, I remember coming up to the, the living room and saying, Whitney, you've got to take him. I don't think I can. And that, that was kind of off for me because I, I am very set in my ways with routines. And once I get my, my patterns, I, I don't, really like changing at all. She, she took him. And, uh, one of the things I told her, I was like, here, take my cell phone. Cause you're going to have our son. So, you know, I want you to have my phone just in case anything happens. Cause I think she lost hers before. So they pack up and go. And then I just lay back down. And at this point I figure maybe it's some kind of weird interaction with those meds the doctors gave me. And, you know, maybe a good nap will, um, it'll go away after that. So I lay down, go to sleep, and I, I laid in bed for a while. But one thing that really clued me off was um, I tried to go use the restroom. And then my, my walking to the bathroom was noticeably worse from the morning but what really triggered in my mind that okay i I need to to call an ambulance was i tried um i I tried urinating and nothing would come out like nothing so yeah i knew something bad was happening so i i got dressed and you know whatever i could i think I, i had some gym shorts or something and then I, I went outside. We lived in a second-story apartment, and I banged on the neighbor's doors on the, the story that we were on, and no one answered. So I ended up having to crawl down the stairs because my, my legs were really starting to just give out at this point. And one of the downstairs neighbors 
answered the door and I, I just asked her, can I please use your phone to, to call an ambulance because something is going on with me. So she let me, I called an ambulance. They came, picked me up and brought me to a satellite hospital not far from our apartment. And by the time I got to the hospital, my my ears, my my hearing was ringing this really crazy tones and pitches. My eyes, it, it was starting to go into where I'm seeing double vision now. Um, I thought I was speaking clearly, but uh, as I found out later, I, I wasn't. And I noticed my hands were starting to turn purple because uh, my apparently it was hitting my respiratory system at this point and starting to shut down. Once I got to the ER, I asked the nurse if I could use a cell phone or something. And this is kind of the last contact I made was I left a message with on a Whitney's mom's phone. She didn't answer at the time, but I knew she was my only reliable contact to get through to Whitney later on throughout the day. So I did that and then uh, it kind of fades in and out after there. I, I woke up time to time in the next several days, but it, it really became kind of blurry. I let Whitney pick it up. And so I didn't get off until after 9 p.m. So I, my, I turned on the phone because I do. I turn off my phone when I'm at work because I'm working. So don't, don't mess with me. That's why Russell knew like calling me would do nothing. And I also typically don't check voicemail. I'm <laughs> kind of bad about it. So, um, yeah, I called my mom to do our normal routine. And her first thing was, do you know where your husband and your son are? I was like, nope. She's like, your husband's in the hospital and your son is still at daycare. And I'm like, at this point, you know, it's past nine o'clock at night. It's almost 930. And um, luckily, by the grace of God, our daycare that our son was at was at home. I called Miss Elsa and found out where she was. And I found out which hospital Russell was at. When I got to the hospital, I didn't know what to expect because my mom had no details. She hadn't been able to get a hold of him. I was greeted by a nurse. And the first thing she said to me was, I thought he was retarded. But then I saw he had a wedding band. And I was like, um, okay, newsflash, newsflash, friends with all different intellectual abilities and what have you and physical abilities can get married. Any, anybody can get married. Just going to say that. Um, so, but I was like, what am I walking into for her to like, like, that's the first thing she said. <laughs> um, and when I got into the hospital room and the, that ER, um, Russell was barely talking and he was not able to see or open his eyes and he wasn't able to move. Like he was starting to lose movement. Um, so they said that they would transfer him. I didn't need to go with him. I wouldn't have been able to sit in the, in the car, in the ambulance anyways. And by the time I got to Seton, Maine, um, Russell was starting to lose respiratory function. It was a hot mess. He ended up in the ICU. He ended up becoming completely paralyzed. Um, he was unconscious for three days where it was non-responsive. Um, it was the, definitely like the first test of who is speaking for him medically. So like being a new wife and a new mom and stepping in to be the person medically speaking for someone. Um, that was interesting. It 
It took um, a week to learn how to even use a cane and get movement. He never, he, he still doesn't have feeling in his legs, but um, he had so much muscle tone, luckily, and was relatively healthy before that his body still was able to move. Relearning how to walk took a full year. Yeah, and, and he has like a wheelchair and forearm canes and what have you, which he's had to use on and off throughout the years. Um, but typically, if Russell's not doing hot, he would rather stay at the house than go out, which I get. So it's hard, though, because most of our family doesn't see um, the struggles because um, that's just kind of like you don't talk about that stuff. I understand that on top of everything you faced medically and emotionally, you had some financial uncertainty due to the income interruption that resulted obviously for you, Russell, but, but even for you, Whitney, at the time as well. Um, what options did you have and how did you ultimately make it work financially during this period? So my grandparents, um, when all this happened, were really wonderful. Um, they, they gave us $5,000 and um, <laughs> they're, they're incredibly financially well off, but we tried to never ask for help because my grandfather has this whole story about how um, my grandmother had has always had a bad back, and they really she really needed a prescription. She was sick and not doing well, and it was Christmas time, and they were to travel, and it was either they could travel to see their family or they could buy the prescription, and it wasn't both. And her dad, um, my great grandfather, was like wanting to pay for everything that way they could come, and my grandfather refused, like. He refused. He's like, no, we got this on our own. So I, I've I've held on to that story, maybe um, to an unhealthy point because we're taking help or handouts, like going on government assistance. Like we've actually, we've not talked about that with other people because that's not a source of pride or anything. It's actually something like kind of you hide, you know, you hide that you needed that help. Um, but he did. They just gave us $5,000 and that was huge. And like, I can never tell them like how huge that was because I was ashamed to say that we weren't prepared for anything. Like we lived paycheck to paycheck. Um, so that was huge that paid our rent because a lot of people don't know, like with disability, Russell qualified for full disability, but it takes six months for you to start your first check. Um, and that, that's good. Like Russell actually qualified for full disability immediately, which is unheard of, especially at 24. He was 24 when he got sick. Um, but it was literally approved like almost the next day, um, which is awesome. But, um, in that time frame, we were in Austin and Austin, while it's a lovely place, it's oversaturated. Like, it's like the, the joke in Austin is like, you have like the most PhDs waiting tables <laughs> because it's just so many educated individuals and they're all trying to get jobs and go to school. And there's so many universities there and no one would hire me like that summer, whenever I needed a job so bad, cause this, this happened by the grace of God that Thursday, and then the next week was spring break. So I had a week for him being learning how to do stuff. My mom took my son. Um, we got him back on Mother's Day. <laughs> so she watched him for a couple of months there for us to just figure things out and for me to stay in school 
and get everything done and still get A's. <laughs> um, but I could not get a job. And I tried everything like Walmart, Starbucks, like I was applying like out of desperation, just filling out applications and like had my like document where I was copying and pasting, copying and pasting. Um, and I actually applied to teach swimming lessons. Again, I had lifeguarded before we had our son and done that. But, um, you know, like after having a baby, like your butt and I had like a really bad C-section, um, like bad C-section, like from hip to hip. So like my whole body changed from that. The thought of getting back into a swimsuit, I was like, oh, joy. <laughs> oh, joy. Um, and that's the only job I could get was teaching swim lessons. I was like, I'm going to prance around in this postpartum belly of mine and let's do this. And I did. Um, I, I taught swimming and springboard diving <laughs> and all of that. Um, nothing helps you come to terms with your body image, <laughs> like jumping on a springboard. <laughs> so, you know, um, we just, we figured it out. And and I am thankful at the time that we did have the government assistance. Um, unfortunately, Russell did try going back to work one day for a few hours. And the problem with that was um, because we didn't know we should have consulted someone, but we didn't even know to consult someone. The problem with that was he went back to work. He didn't even last four hours and they were able, the company he was working for was able to lay him off. And that by laying him off, like that meant that he didn't qualify for short-term or long-term disability anymore through the company. Um, And all of his insurance benefits stopped. And we actually didn't find that out um, until I, I graduated in May of 2011. And that Friday before we graduated, we got a big old fat check, like a a Cobra from Cobra. And it was like, you you have lost all benefits. And you can apply for Cobra. And I was like, what is this? And then um, that summer I graduated. And again, it was 2011. And that's when the state of Texas reduced... um, they actually just reduced the amount of money available to all of the districts in education. It was like a 5% cut. Um, and so the teachers were either hiring freezes were happening across the state. There was reductions in force. They were laying off teachers. And so it didn't matter that it was like, I'm graduating from the University of Texas, number one in the nation for research at the time and education. I'm in a specialization cohort. They wouldn't, no one was hiring. No one was hiring. The whole disability thing, I, I later learned that Hampton retroactively took the the money that they had paid out back from all the doctors. So we went from, okay, we're covered, you know, it sucks, but we can manage to, okay, we don't have insurance now, but we can figure something out to, okay, I know now owe over $700,000 in medical bills. There's no way I can even attempt to pay this back. So it it was just like not a one-two punch, but it, it was like a one-two-three where all these things happened right in a row. And financially, it just put us in such a miserable starting point that it, it, it was hard to, to get things figured out from there. It, it almost felt like we were starting from like some deep, deep cave and 
it's taken us years just to dig out and see a little bit of light. A lot of something that people don't know about disability too, and um, that's often a surprise when we talk about that, is it takes two years on disability before insurance kicks in, before you can actually be on insurance. And so, yeah, so my Medicare didn't start till two years out. So what ended up happening is we had to move back to North Dallas or North Texas. And I had to get on the Parkland program with uh, Parkland Medical Center. It, it's kind of like the county indigent program. And they kind of handled uh, pretty much all my medical needs, which was great, but it is a teaching hospital. So it, it's definitely put me on some weird avenues of my health. But there are things that happen like, Russell hasn't been on an MS med in forever because it's $2,400 a month. So those types of things happen and you have to make decisions and choices that are like hard. And it's, it's one of those things like, are there people in our family who could probably afford that? Sure. Will we ever ask that? No, we wouldn't. So, so Russell, you mentioned that after the insurance was sort of retroactively adjusted, there was a Seven hundred some odd thousand dollar worth of medical bills. How how was that addressed, or like how did that evolve? Did it evolve? What Honestly, happened? I just had to wait till the uh, statute of limitations gave up. So seven years. I mean, to me, that was short compared to the amount of money I owed, and. Now it's to the point where I hardly ever see any of those bills anymore because it, it's gone so far past the, the seven-year mark. And if I do, do see something from way back when, I can always just ask to have that removed from my credit report. A quick note for our listeners. Debt collection laws vary based on which state you reside and your individual circumstance. What you just heard was unique to Russell's situation. It's not anything like you're like we're proud of per se, but I don't know how else we could have done it. Honestly, we would be paying ten dollars a month for eternity. Yeah, I mean, we we look at statistics even related to bankruptcy, and there's always this perception that individuals that file bankruptcy are are really are they overspending? They're trying to game the system. And the reality of it is, like half of the people, or more than half the people that file, are in that exact position. And, uh, but, you know, and then there's cases where, as you said, like, it's, it's nothing that you set out to do. It's not like you incurred this debt intentionally or at all. Right. It just, it just, it is what it is at, at a certain point. Um, so obviously some, some negative stuff, a lot of negative stuff related to debt. Um, but I saw in, in some of your writing, Whitney, that you talked about, um, how student loans, uh, were a, uh, a, a tool that was, uh, helping you in many regards uh, to, to go through school. So can you speak to just what goals do those student loans help you achieve? And at the same time, did they cause you any financial stress? We didn't, I didn't take out student loans until, um, until we had our son. And that was just because like whenever Russell got sick that semester, um, it was just like, how are we going to pay for childcare? Like, how are we going to do this? And so that's, that's what we did for, that last year of school and to just kind of buffer us and get us through. Um, 
And then I also, after two years of teaching, um, I started my master's to become a librarian. And that was also, um, at that point, like, to pay for things. And we actually ended up having our daughter doing my master's, um, which was good. But, you know, that's $3,500 at the hospital or what have you. And so um, whenever you... Whenever I would fill out for a loan, I would get grants, and that was wonderful, and scholarships were great. Um, I worked really hard to keep my grades up um, to be able to qualify for those. But um, whenever you apply for a loan, they give you, like, the full amount, like, to the max. And I wish I could say, like, I had the discipline to say, oh, no, I only need to accept this much. And instead, I would say, yes, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the help. Um and so that did, and, and the interest accrues, you go into forbearance, like while you are in school and like, you don't think about it. Um, and then whenever, you know, that six months forbearance period after you finish a degree pops up and you see how much interest actually accumulated in a short amount of time, it's like, oh, that's horrible. <laughs> um, the good news that like, I think our saving grace on paying back student loans has been is that I am um, a public employee, right? So I'm an educator. And so I have like that pathway of 10 years of payments. A quick aside, what Whitney is describing here is a program for federal student loans called Public Service Loan Forgiveness. We'll put a link in the show notes if you're interested in learning more. And then because our income while teaching has allowed us to have more financial stability, um, our income is still considered low. Um, so I'm able to qualify for low income as well, um, which is, is good. So it's it has helped to take our payments down. But there was a point, like, we really liked the townhouse we were living in, and it was really nice. We were paying the largest rent we had ever paid for that. And um, I got the letter from Nelnet that was like, it's going to be like over $700 a month to pay back your student loans. <laughs> we had a freak out moment and we didn't renew that lease. And we went to a really cheap um, little two bedroom apartment. And um, I wish we had waited to fill out the paperwork and know, um, <laughs> right? It was such a, it, was, it had a huge backyard, but we freaked out and we moved into this cheap apartment and then it comes to that point where like the cheap apartment's now five years later and we're still there and two kids in a small little apartment with two cats. It's at the point where we are too close <laughs> for comfort. Um, and it starts, but it does start like this, like path where you kind of get stuck. So I know that you, you spoke of having a career transition from librarian to teacher. And during this transition, it caused some uncertainty about making your payments, specifically your rent payments. Can, can you share how each of you, uh, how you navigated this, how you handle it? The problem is, is I started November 11th and teaching contracts, a lot of friends think that, oh, teachers get paid in the summer to just lay around. And that's not true. Um, teachers get paid a day rate times the day that we work and it's divided by 12. So we're not actually getting paid our monthly rate because it's only based on the days that we're working and spread out over the month. And so since I started November 11th, it was the smallest amount in the number of days, um, <laughs> period. So it's like the lowest amount that I've ever made. And so um, we had taken out a title loan, worst choice ever, <laughs> worst 
don't ever like anyone listening to this don't do it just just don't never no matter what situation you're in no no it's not because it's shady um even though it was like a national chain one that was nice right they all was so clean in their office um yeah we did we did a title loan on our van because our van was paid in full and um to help us get through with rent because you get paid once a month as an educator and i wasn't sure leaving that district that i had a like a philosophy issue with um going back to my home district I, I wasn't sure like when I was going to p- get paid, how it was going to work through. Cause usually when you start a contract as a new teacher, you start in August and you don't get your first paycheck until the end of September. Right. And so we were just kind of worried about that. And so we did, we took out the loan. The problem was, is that it was an astronomical amount of money to pay per month and you pay that amount and it actually doesn't do anything to the loan. It's literally holding the loan. And I didn't understand this. And I felt like an idiot. Gary have a master's and I didn't understand that you pay this amount. And then what happens is it just basically renews the loan for another month. And so unless you're paying even more on top of it, it was already a stretch for us to pay that. You're stuck. You're stuck. And that's when we called, um, I called my my um, credit union because we were getting into the point where we were starting to get late on credit card payments for the first time. Like up until this point, we'd always still made our bills on time. We still paid our bills on time, even though we were like tight and we were starting to let stuff like credit cards slip. And um, my credit union called because I had a credit card with them and they're like, what's going on? This isn't you. This isn't your normal behavior. What is this? And thank God they reached out to me. And the lady I was talking to is like, I have a place for you to call. She's like, they're they're not for profit. It's called Green Path. And she gave me the, the number. And um, I literally like sat on that number for a month or two because like that would be admitting that we are failing or not, you know, right, Russell? It was like, oh gosh, that we needed help. Like to say that we needed help, like felt wrong. Um and so I did finally call and I talked to a guy named Ian and Ian looked through the budget and he was like, yeah, y'all are, y'all are really tight. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, we are, right? He was like, yeah, you are. So he set up like a, like a temporary budget and like we talked through if we did, you know, our taxes and we got a tax return, could we pay off a good chunk? Probably not all, but a good chunk of the stone that was drowning us. And um, he did. He sent that our way. Um, and that's, we followed his plan, actually. Like, we actually followed his plan. Yeah, um, got paid off really quick. Yeah, yeah. Because um, we didn't want to consolidate. We, did, we didn't want to do a debt consolidation. Like, it just, we don't have, we didn't have that much debt, per se, except for, like, student loans at that point. And then, like, some smaller credit cards. Um, we, because... I've never trusted myself even to allow the credit limits to bump up. I've always declined it. <laughs> so luckily like that had happened. But um, after we did that though, y'all started sending us like different advertisements, you know, like check-ins and like kind of like these information emails on how to like tips and, and do better. And then there was one that came across for financial, like the financial counseling program. It has a different name. The financial coaching program. Yes. Yeah. So the year money guide. Yes. So the year money guide came through um, our email 
and we were able to see like the advertisement for this new program starting that was a pilot. And so we, I, I, I talked with Russell about it. I was like, you know, we've been failures at Dave Ramsey, <laughs> which we tried and, and failed miserably. I was like, and, and working off of the simple budget that Ian created with me over the phone, I was like, maybe this is something we should do. Um, and so we sat on that for about a month or more because, you know, it was like, mm, no. Um, and then we actually scheduled it to meet with, to meet with a, a financial counselor. And in that process of doing that, that's when the pandemic started. <laughs> so literally signed up. And then, um, you know, March 13th is the last day I wrote on my dry erase board in my second grade classroom. And um, then we were home. We were home. And so we had plenty of time to work through different things. And that's how we met Allison. Um, and she has been a game changer, like a game changer for us like huge. Um, and for that, like, I think she shocked us because our first assignment was nothing financial, but doing a personality test. And so she had us like take a personality test. And um, it was one of those that was actually really good person. Like usually like kind of feel like, Oh, this is like something I would take in Cosmo and giggle with my, my girlfriends. <laughs> right. But it was actually legit. Um, and Russell and I both were, uncomfortably surprised by how accurate <laughs> the responses were <laughs> like people pleaser me nah. <laughs> and then i think like russell is like the rebel so he'll write russ like you'll do things on your term uh no comment <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so russell what was it what was your take on uh the experience both starting with the initial meeting with ian and then uh eventually finding your way to allison and the financial coaching so the initial meeting, I, I was more just listening than anything. Um, but yeah, our our first meeting with Allison, I, I could tell it, it was definitely going to be a kind of special relationship. And uh, yeah, when he's right, when we did that um, that survey, <laughs> it was a little uncomfortable on how accurate it was. Yeah, it it was big for us too because while we've always been a little bit tight, we play hockey, like our family plays hockey, and that's a really expensive sport. And so like the obvious thing would be like, okay, to get out of debt quickly, to get your finances on, stop playing hockey and just focus on paying everything down immediately. Um, but she never said that. She's like, This is a passion, this is a big part of your life. She's like, So let's actually see how we can shape your finances and plan ahead that way you're ready when the time comes. And like, it was just like the cool thing about Allison is that it's just simple things that she gives us homework wise to do. Um, but sometimes you're like, that's all I gotta do. Okay. And at the time, like when you're getting the assignments, it just seems like, okay, really? That's it. That this is going to help me. And now that we're like quite a few months out, it's, been huge actually like the little steps that she's given us that have been doable have been like bite-sized pieces we can chew and on have been instrumental like to us starting to get on the right track and staying on track like we're actually staying on track now which is like huge it's huge it, is there any specific assignment 
uh, that sticks out to either of you? One of the first things that we did was looking at like where we're actually spending our money. And so that was just kind of just looking through, like looking through our bank account and seeing like, what are some of our trends? What do we notice and pulling those out? Um, That was huge because that was an eye opener for me. Like Russell will spend large amounts on, on big purchases, like a new set of pads, $600, right? That's cheap. (laughs) Yes. But, um, and so for me, like I, we, a lot of our fights around money, um, that's kind of all we really fight about, um, we're about him like blowing through large portions of, of our finance. And then what I saw was that I was actually eating through our money by ordering takeout or stopping through a drive through. Um, so one of the assignments when we saw that was, Allison had challenged me to say, okay, what do y'all really want? And we really want to own our own house. Like that's our goal is to own our own home. Um, we're not there yet and that's okay, but we have a plan to get there. And so she said, okay, print off a picture of a house. She's like, go drive around the neighborhood and find a home that you really love take a picture of it. So I did like a creeper. I, I drove around neighborhoods <laughs> taking pictures of houses that I really liked or features that I liked. And um, she's like, wrap that around your debit card. And so while that seems like crazy almost, it definitely makes you pause whenever you're like, do I really want to drive through Waterburger and get delicious food? Or do I want to put that back in my wallet and go home and make something? Um, and so that's been really big. Like that's actually been huge for me. Sort of like a visualization technique Mm -hmm. that you have that, that image in your mind. You talked about one of your goals going into this financial coaching experience being to buy a new home. Were there any other goals you had going into the experience before you went through some of the exercises? I think a big thing was getting control of, um, as much of our debt as we possibly could and controlling and um, I I guess just getting a better handle on our credit card and credit score as well. So the credit's been a really big part of this. And how, what's, what's been your progress with, with that goal in particular so far? Well, we still have some work to do, but we definitely have noticeable improvement. Yeah, Allison um, looked through our, our credit with us, and Russell had a student loan that had gone out, like it, it had been overdue for too long. But what we found out was because of the disability, he was actually able to have it completely forgiven. And so that was just one of those things of like the gentle nudge to get the paperwork done. And so those are some of the things that um, Allison would do, like to set up timelines for us. Like, okay, by the next time we meet, you'll have submitted this paperwork, right? Like this is what y'all are wanting to do. And um, it's just nice to have that accountability to know that like, okay, yes, I'll have this done before our next meeting and we'll have that much further progress. So things that are, some, are kind of obvious, but um, for for us, we would simply, what is it? Like we're, we would neglect it, right? 
And then it would fester and become something worse than it really should have been. And so with those gentle nudges from her, it helped us to kind of realize like, okay, let's just, just do it. And, um, I think like talking to like friends and family members who do have financial problems, that's probably like one of the reasons why so many of us get into it, get into financial issues is because we start making mountains out of molehills, right? It's just something so simple to do. And yet it starts feeling overwhelming and not knowing where to turn. So having her just to talk through stuff like that, like, this is the deadline when we're going to submit this assignment, which is the paperwork. And it was forgiven. And that increased Russell's credit score. Huge, like huge. Um, paying off little debts. Like that's something we're working on right now. Like, is there a little debt there that has lingered from the time when Russell got sick or past that? Like, yes. Okay. So can you pay off like an $83 debt? Yes. Like, why hadn't we? It had gotten lost in the shuffle somewhere. Like, where did that envelope fall? Who knows, right? Um, so those type of things are huge. Like, they add up. They're they're not huge in the moment and the expectation, but just having her to talk us through and, and not be judgmental. Like, she's really just been truly encouraging of us. Like, it feels like, like, like we have, like, a cheerleader in a sense, And she's really realistic and she jokes with us too. And it's like, I mean, I think we, we put so much on ourselves where you kind of feel like a failure where you haven't gotten it right. You're like, okay, we're, you know, in our mid thirties now (sighs) and we haven't figured this out. We still haven't been able to buy a house. Like we have kids, we're doing all this stuff. Like, Oh, we're failing. We're failing. And then um, to have that conversation where it's like, actually you're not, you know, you're just on a different trajectory and it's going to take time and it's going to take patience. But she like would remind us, like, look at what you've done. Look at how far you've come. Look at the work you've already put in. She's like, y'all have this. You can do it to the point where like last month, Russell made an amazing spreadsheet. (laughs) And like, (laughs) it's been, that's been a game changer in the past two months with, with just that. And that wouldn't, I mean, 17 years together, I didn't even know he could, I didn't even know he could use Excel. Russell, I know you had gone through an extensive rehabilitation and there was that time where you had returned to work. And as I think, I forget which of you mentioned it, it only lasted a few hours. But as yeah. we sit here and talk today, I help, but can't help but notice that you're, you're at work and mm-hmm. you, you've been mentioning buying hockey equipment. So I feel like I missed that part of the story. So how, how did you get from point A to point B? Um, well, honestly, it didn't happen overnight. The process was about 10 years long. And it, it's been a very slowly recovery and just like little achievements come year after year. Uh, five years down the line, I think it, it took me five years to get off of a cane and start walking under my own power without really using my forearm canes every day. And, you know, over the summer when the heat would affect me, I'd have to use them occasionally. But year after year, it was just getting noticeably better. And then hockey kind of came into the picture because I, I kind of wanted something to do to um, stay in shape and, and and just 
I don't know, something to get me out of the house. But heat really affects me and because all the neurological stuff I have going on. So we eventually found hockey through, um, I, I think Whitney found a flyer for skating lessons for the Galleria for Roland. And he tried it out and really liked it. And he was the one to say, hey, I, I want to play hockey. So we got him into it first. And then uh, I was like, well, I kind of want to help, you know, teach him the best I can. So I decided to to get into it myself. I first started with skating a bit more and then uh, coaching his team and then eventually buying hockey equipment myself and then going to drop-ins and practices. And it, it really helped, I, I think, uh, initiate the final push I needed it to realize, okay, I can physically kind of be back where I was before I got sick. So it's time to start looking at an avenue to get back to work and, you know, just see where that takes me. And I, I think it, it overall was about a 10 to 11 year process, but I'm finally back to where I was before all this craziness happened. Well, and getting a job is probably the hardest part because of the large unemployment gap. Like he was 24 and this happened. And right now, like when we're talking to you, Russ is 35 and I'm 34. And so having a large unemployment gap, being a young, a younger guy, um, we couldn't get a job for him not for lack of applying. I mean, and I, I would literally sit there and, and enter applications, enter applications. Um, we, he had, Russell had tried doing Uber at one point um, and, and like those type of things, like the gig economy with Lyft. But the problem with that is um, it's wear and tear on your car. And that's really fast wear and tear. So it didn't, it didn't equate what happened right as the pandemic was starting in March, literally that weekend before um, I had gone to pick up a pizza, which we don't normally do. We usually had delivery. And this is right before I started talking to Allison too. So um, they had a driver's wanted poster and I went in and was just joking with the manager. He can walk most days. And so with like joking like that, he's like, I guess, I guess so. Tell him, come on in here. And so he did. He hired Russell on the spot. And so it's the first time that someone actually hired him. Um, and so he started doing a delivery for a pizzas. And that in itself was like, okay, can you do this? Because we didn't know. Like with hockey, yeah, he plays hockey, but it's one hour a week. So what Russell's doing that he's not saying is he has all of his medicines timed out. He knows exactly when he needs each dosage to kick in to have him have the energy. So all day before he'd play a game, he is in bed conserving all energy because with MS, it's a bank and you wear out really fast. And then after that game, like there's a day in the weekend where he's not getting out of bed where he's really tired. And so it's like that whole budgeting. So we weren't sure if he could actually like go up and down apartment flights of stairs and, and actually deliver pizzas in the summer. 
And he did. It came at a toll. It came with like a lot of rebound migraines from his anti-fatigue meds and and that. Um, But it gave him a work history for six months. And then um, his cousin luckily had a, a job that he had posted on Facebook of all places, just if anyone knew. And that's how Russell came into his current position. And so, like, while this is, like, somewhat of an entry job, it's a starting point. It's a foot in the door that we haven't been able to get. Like, we haven't been able to get this foot in the door. And so, when, like, a lot of people talk about, like, disabled people, um, people who have chronic illness, and we've heard it. We've heard it from family. We've heard, we've had families say, like, he's a bum or he's lazy. Yeah, a lot. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) a whole lot. And it's, it's one of those things that I used to get really angry and, and like defend. And then you just kind of get to the point where you're like, you don't understand. And thank God you don't understand because then you would know what it is to go through all this. But for those friends who are on disability, it's so challenging because you can only earn so much money a month. And if you're lucky to even get a job. Right. And like Russell looks fine most days. Like most people wouldn't know that he has so much going on, like internally wrong. Um, But on the really bad days, he's typically at the house. So they wouldn't know. They wouldn't see that, which is fine. And and another thing, trying to get a job, uh, discrimination is rampant. And. So you're kind of torn between, okay, do I tell them or do I not tell them? But then if I don't tell them, how do I explain this gap? And occasionally I I tried to say, well, I I was a stay-at-home dad or whatever, but me being a male, that's not really accepted in our society. So again, another reason for them to just say, well, no, I, I don't think he'd be a good fit. So it's really been a long process of kind of trial and error on what place would be the right fit or what place would even accept me from the get-go. And I I found that before I got sick, if I interviewed, I got hired. And then after I got sick, it was hard to make it to an interview. And even if I did make it to an interview, then, you know, it, it was very rare that I ever got an offer. And and one thing you, you spoke of that I just want to lift up for those that aren't familiar with the rules related to this is you mentioned that you can only work a certain number of hours. And yes, I know there might be physical limitations, but there's also financial limitations. So if you collect uh, federal disability income, there's a certain limit. I'm, how, how does that work in, in your case? So it's actually a um, dollar amount. Uh, I think for SSDI, the dollars around nine fifty to nine ninety a month. So you have to cap yourself out at that because if you go over, it'll begin what's known as um, a trial work period, which you get nine months of those. And once the nine months is up, it doesn't have to be consecutive. As long as you hit that nine month mark, then they'll start start the process for, um, you know, getting you kind of off disability. So it, it's always kind of walking a thin line on 
on, you know, working, but not overdoing it with the, the financial limit. But with this job, I just decided, you know, I'm going to go for it all the way. And so I started just working full time and I entered the trial work period. So I made the decision to kind of let go of disability in the long run. I think there's like a, a three-year buffer zone to where I can hop back on it if I ever need to. But I, I don't want to spend my life, you know, on disability and getting government assistance and all that. Well, that and the good thing is, is that the actual insurance, the medical side of, of disability lasts for about eight years. So you can continue. And that's the hardest thing with, with the medical side is it's so extreme. Now, like there's still things like that we can't afford even with that. So like Russell doesn't take MS drugs because $2,400 a month is not. Yeah. Not it's, it's just really not possible. And the way I was getting it um, before is there was a, this grant program that was paying for the entire cost of it. But then um, I forgot what happened, but the funding ran out of the grant. And then uh, I just wasn't able to pay that. And that's the copay is $2,400 copay. I think the actual drug is 25,000 a month. It's insane. Yeah. So that, that those type of things like happen and, and it's because like, I'm on an educator's salary, so by the grace of God, we we make we make enough. Like we're 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 doing all right now, and um, so we haven't been on government assistance, like in terms of food stamps or anything, since I started working as a teacher. Like that was a, a transitional phase um, for us, and and I thank God that we had that ability because it allowed us to survive, right? But now where we're at, it is that point where you make too much money for most like grants or, or, or assistance on um, medications like that, but not enough money to actually be able to cover it. So, and there's so many Americans across like literally in the same situation where they are choosing which medications that are prescribed that are, are warranted that they're taking. And I, I want to be clear, like a lot of people try to get onto disability and like they're denied, denied, and they require lawyers. But Russell is literally approved for full disability, like within like days of him becoming sick. Um, so like we didn't have to fight for the, this, um, even though we've had to fight with with family members sometimes to prove how disabled he actually is. Uh, <laughs> the truth is it like all of this has come with like heavy choices and with Allison and this program um, we've actually started those conversations with her and, and she walked us through weighing out the pros and cons. She walked us through like insurance, like things like that, that um, it was just more than just our financial budget. It was literally our life choices and kind of giving us a framework to weigh the pros and cons like, do we want to get a house? Yes. I'm an educator. It doesn't matter how amazing I am. I don't get a raise based on my performance. We get a raise across the board and it might be a one or 2% raise. And so knowing that like my position and my income is pretty stagnant in, the, in some regards, um, the variable there is Russell 
And that's where those conversations started coming in too. Like, okay, what does that look like? Can you actually do this? Can we try this? And then can the opportunity arise? And by the grace of God and through a lot of prayer, it has. And so like, we're still scared because Russell, you're like two months and he's two months into this job. And so, um, I mean, I have the paperwork, which is one of my action items for Allison to fill out for the work <laughs> trial period um, in my hand. So like we're, we're in uncharted territory for us. It's really nerve wracking, um, but it's also a bit of a trust. And so those are conversations that Allison's had with us about what are y'all saving to set aside just in case and kind of thinking long-term, um, which is, is good, is really good but also scary. <laughs> yeah, that actually yeah. brings me to my next question. Um, I know you mentioned buying a home is one of the long-term goals. Russ, in your case, you talked about um, trying to see if you can transition to um, getting yourself uh, long-term into a full-time position and weaning yourself off of disability. What other financial goals do you guys have in the long-term or what other dreams, I guess, could be another way of phrasing it? Start with you, Russell. Um, well, the big one is getting us into house. And then after that, I, I definitely want to start a college account for our kids. That way, they at least have a little something to get them started down their college path once they're ready to enter it. And also, Roland, our son, is getting older. He's 11 now, so I need to start thinking about you know, a vehicle for him when he turns 16. So just life goals in general. Yeah. And that was something that we also talked about is with our kids. Um, our son is, is actually a really talented goalie. And um, he has been asked to try out like income for travel teams. But the problem is, is that we were never in a position to afford him. And so that's one of those things too, is, is looking at like how to afford a travel team. And that was one of the things in our budget was, are we paying monthly towards our savings and anticipation for amounts due? Right. Cause as we're like with a lot of this stuff, especially with, with sports now, it's not like when we were kids. Right. And the financial expectations are, are pretty stout, you know, you make a team or if you're offered a spot, you're expected to put down a thousand dollars right there and then to hold your spot. Um, and those were things that we didn't know. We were ignorant to when we got into the sport um, and, and goalie parents in the in the competitive circles of travel will not talk about anything. No secrets shall be scared, shall be shared. And um, so that's fine. And um, so those type of things, too. We're, we're thinking like short-term and long-term, like how to make things happen. How can we be able to say yes and know what things we need to say no to? You both have alluded to some of the stress that you, you each deal with on an everyday basis. Is there anything money-related that's currently keeping each of you or either of you up at night? So it is more just like the little debt. Our credit scores have come up which is good. Um, it's really good. But it's more like trying to pay off all the debts that are hanging there to raise it and then saving up a down payment. It's like the those type of things. Like how do we how do we get to that point? 
There is a program that we're looking at for educators in Texas, and it might be across the nation, I'm not sure. But for Texas, there's um, like a down payment, like assistance, a grant program um, with some stipulations of living in the house for five years and it can't be a rental property or what have you. Um, so we're looking at that too, because that is, um, that's like up to $6,000 to use as a down payment. But we want to make sure that our credit score is the best possible to get the best possible rate. Um because even right now with the a downturn in the economy with the pandemic, um, there's there's not as much property on the market. And there that means that the lenders are getting to be a little bit pickier. And so we don't want to have anything like to discriminate against us for, but rather to to be like an actual viable customer. Um, and then we don't want to be house poor. That's huge. Um we're pretty simple for the most part, right, Russ? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we we've never like been into the flash. Um, so it's just more finding a place that can hold us and our stuff and we can grow with. Um, but we definitely don't need need the the big Texas houses, <laughs> the McMansions. We just need we just need a house with hopefully a room for each kid because right now they're they're literally on top of each other in a bunk bed and uh it would be nice to relieve some tension with their like bickering over toys. <laughs> I don't like that they're sharing a room right now, especially with him getting a little older. They really need their own space just to to be I, they fight constantly. So the biggest thing for me is just finding a place where we can get just one more bedroom at least so they can have their own space to to just be in the house. I'll start with this question with you, Russell. What inspired you to share your story? I, I don't really know. I, I mean, I, I saw the email and uh, I'm kind of a, a go for the flow kind of guy. So I, I don't really, I guess, get bothered by too much. But when I saw this opportunity, I, I, I thought it would be I, just an interesting experience. Yeah, we we were talking about it after the first like um, part of the conversation, and Russell and I were, and it was a realization that so much stuff like we hadn't actually talked about. You know, like you just, when you're going through things that are difficult, sometimes we just all like suck it up buttercup and <laughs> move on like in survival mode. Um, and so it w- it's actually been really nice just to reflect. So whenever I wrote you our story in, in the letter, um, it was just realizing that a lot of things like we hadn't actually talked about. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of a large part of how my family is. Like we don't talk about the negative. It's just stay positive. Um, so that's, that's been really good, but also too, like, this has been huge for us and Allison's been phenomenal. Like, I just, I really want like your company to see her for her greatness and lift her up. She is helping us to correct wrongs that we have done upon ourselves. You know, like these are mistakes that we have made and that is fine. We are owning that now. Um, but she's helping us navigate out of our mess. And so I know she's doing that for everyone that she's coming along with and all your counselors. When we met Ian, he was wonderful too. So my assumption is everyone that's there is phenomenal. So I really want people to know like this is an option and 
it's just a way where you're not judged, but really like y'all are coming alongside us and working with us with our unique situation, which is phenomenal. Like, I'm so glad that we got in on the pilot phase. <laughs> like, so glad. Um, because I, I think if there was like cost, I probably wouldn't have. It would have been prohibitive for us at, at that point in time. So yeah, I, I'm I'm really grateful for you guys. And Allison rocks. <laughs> nice, nice. And we're we are grateful for you for sharing your story. Um, I have two final questions, and both of them have to do with advice. And the first one is what financial advice would you have for your younger selves? Honestly restrain myself more and just not because in the past I I would just, you know, buy something if I wanted it without any thought to, to budget or finances or anything like that. So just plan my purchases out better and actually work toward, you know, a monthly budget and then also communicate with Whitney about more, more, I, I guess, purchase or budget ideas more freely. Because early on, um, the lack of communication definitely caused a, a bunch of issues. So ironing that out earlier would probably have set us in, on a better path a lot sooner. But I, I agree with Whitney. I, I don't think we could have gotten where we are today without the help of Allison. She, she's really helped to guide us through this whole process. Along the lines of what Russell is saying with communication, because it's always been ingrained in me, I, I think, from my family is having their different various businesses that it doesn't matter what you have to say. Keep your, <laughs> Keep the focus on the client. Keep the focus on the other person. And um, there were definite problems that would have that did arise because I wouldn't speak up and say what I wanted or what I felt like I needed, and then the money would just I would I would feel like the money was getting spent by Russell, and I would be so mad at him. But really, I was mad at myself. And in this process, just having honest conversations of like what we need or why we need it. Um, and then also like hearing like what our goals are and sharing that it, it has actually strengthened our relationship and we, we've always had a pretty good relationship through thick or thin, you know, we've always been there together, but the finances was our Achilles and we're definitely not through the fray yet. We, we, we've messed up along this, this journey already. We'll probably mess up in the future, but at least we'll have the tools to be able to, understand why and correct it and move forward. Whereas before it was just blame, a lot of blame. So I really like, I've told people like, this is the best thing we've ever done. And I'm like, I don't like, it's not a bougie thing. You don't have to be wealthy to go get a financial counselor, but like everybody needs this because it's huge. And we're too close. We're too close to our own situation sometimes to see it without blame. Right. And to have a third person come in and and just be non-biased and listen to both of us and kind of like work through the whys. We had missed that. Like for so many years, we had missed asking each other, why do you want to buy this? Instead, it was you want to buy this because you just want things and you're selfish. And really, it was no, there's a there's a reason that I wasn't even thinking to ask. 
I mean, it's just a good example. What you just spoke of is just the, the hockey expenditure, right? Where without seeing and understanding the full ramifications of what that mean, has meant to your recovery and everything else, it's easy to look at the surface of that if one is financially struggling to make an assumption over that. So, um, all right, last question. I'll start with you, Russ. What advice could you share for anyone facing stress and or financial uncertainty over a medical condition? Honestly, the, the biggest thing is the financial part will definitely look rough and finances dictate a, a lot of what you do in terms of like physical therapy, medications, that kind of thing. But to me, don't let your finances be a barrier to treatment. So if you don't have the, the means to do something, there's probably a good chance that there's a program out there that could help you with whatever particular need you have, whether it be a medication, a device, or, or some kind of um, therapy session. Because with me, I, I mean, that whole grant program, I, I never knew it existed until um, a social worker kind of led me to it. So that's at least uh, a couple years worth of medication that they helped pay for that I frankly would have never even had the money to begin that program. So there's a lot of good programs out there, but just don't, don't really let your finances get in the way of your treatment and your healing. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Well, um, we actually haven't ever talked to anyone about having used government assistance like food stamps before we talked to you. Um, just because that's just not something that we felt like should be shared. Um, but we both agreed that we'd be honest um, to give the full picture. And that's the thing is that if if you're at that point and you require food stamps, like it's going to be temporary, hopefully, right? Like I think that's how it's a huge blow. It's a really big blow. Like if you've been able-bodied and a disability comes on all of a sudden, it's huge. Um, I, I remember when Russell got really sick, he there was a large time where he didn't want to go anywhere where, where he was going to use his forearm canes or what have you. And so there was a lot of functions where he'd be embarrassed and I would have to go by myself or with myself and the kids. And that's really hard on the caretakers. Like, yeah, I'm a spouse, but I'm also a caretaker. There's times like where Russell's so fatigued that he can't get out of bed. So I am bringing him his food, you know, like in the water and what have you. Um, And so in those moments, a lot of people want to help. They do. They don't know how to help necessarily because um, while they mean well and, and you'll hear things like, Oh, I can only imagine, or, Oh, I could never, I could never see that. Like, Oh, that must be so horrible. It's frustrating because you're like, this is my life. <laughs> it can't be horrible all the time. You have to be happy at some point. Right. Um, it's just being specific. And that might even just be, can you watch the kids for like two hours? please. Um, I never was comfortable enough to have people come fold my laundry 
which now in hindsight, I'm like, I should have been comfortable with that. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> but, you know, like just different things. Um, I would also say if you're with a disability, there's different groups. So like Russell in the early phases reached out online. He's been comfortable online always. So he's in online groups and talks that way. And then for me, who I found comfort with wasn't actually the disability community because Russell is such an oddball with with so many so many rare diseases and how they function that um, it just I I just didn't I, I I didn't jive for me to go to like the caretaker meetings, but man, senior women like the ladies like at church who are older and have been through it and they're dealing with age, which age often acts like a disability later on in life, their advice and their humor like has always lifted me up. I would rather go sit with my elders and listen to them like make jokes, you know, about like an, an ailing husband um, and here than to not. So just please reach out to people because you're, you're not alone. You're not alone. Sage advice from both of you. Thank you each. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, I know you're still working with Allison on our financial coaching program. And so maybe we'll get an update uh, at some point in the future. But for now, uh, we will let the story stand for itself. So thank you both for joining today and best of luck in the future. Thank you, Chris. thank, Thank you for the opportunity. I'm joined by my co-host, Omari. Whitney spoke of all the challenges that occur behind closed doors. A perfect example is how he prepares to play hockey. He literally needs to lay in bed the day before and after to preserve energy and recover. This really resonated with me. Um, My brother has a rare genetic disorder that results in him having the physical and mental capacity similar to that of a one-year-old. I really admire how my parents cared for him with such class and strength and how my mom continues to care for him with that same grace and determination with my brother now in his mid-30s. Russell and Whitney gave such great advice about seeking out programs that might provide financial and or logistical support for those with a medical condition and their caretakers. I have such gratitude for all the great programs that have supported my brother over the years. Some are state-run programs, others are programs run by nonprofits, like a toy lending library that provides specially adapted toys. I think it's also worth remembering that programs evolve over time. My mom recently needed some additional short-term caretaking support, and she had to scramble to put that support in place. Through this process, she actually learned about a state-run program that will end up being a blessing in many ways. What struck me really was that my mom is amazing at uncovering any available resources. She would often be that person that other special needs parents go to for advice. So why wasn't she aware of this program? Well, because it simply didn't even exist a few years ago. She just wasn't aware of it. So to our listeners who have or have a loved one with a medical condition, it can be exhausting figuring out all the different resources that are out there. Russell mentioned that he found an online community of others with a similar medical condition. And that's a great example of something that could provide both emotional support and ideas for resources. And ultimately, these kind of resources can have an immeasurable impact on your physical health, mental health, and your financial health. 
Definitely. Um, and, and obviously uh, that for you um, and observing that from your parents um, and, and being so close to that experience, I can imagine that that uh, probably was simultaneously like an empowering feeling as well as also terrifying in some ways. And the reason why that's why I feel so connected to that is because I see some parallels uh, in your story, in Whitney's story, in Ruffle's story, and even your mother's story um, with some experiences that I've had on my own for um, several years, for actually a good part of my adulthood. Um, you know, I'm, I am the child of older parents. So, um, you know, as a young adult, I dealt with uh, some of the caretaking responsibilities that you might have to deal with as an older person with older parents, right? Um, and for me, dealing with that at, at my at the age that I was was pretty. Uh, it was a it was a little bit of a culture. It was a little bit of a shock, right? Um, for the longest time, my dad had taken responsibility of caring for my mother, who suffered from um, sort of late life um, uh, debilitating issues. Um, and ultimately, that responsibility fell on me to kind of take over uh, and be the person who arranged for my mother's care. Uh, and, and that was, like I mentioned before, uh, an empowering feeling. Um, it, there, I remember very specifically uh, taking my mother to the hospital, right, um, and, and, and feeling a moment of, okay, I've got you, I'm going to care for you now. Right, having that, and and I and I sense that she also felt that, even though she may not have been able to uh, to articulate it, it was a, a good feeling. In in a in a sea of other emotions, that was a, a feeling of empowerment that that I held on to, and, and that was very meaningful to me. Uh, additionally, it was quite scary and quite a, a overwhelming responsibility. Uh, and I hear that I heard that in Whitney's story. Um, especially as she adjusted to caring for her loved one, caring for her husband, um, who had undergone a pretty life-changing um, hardship that affected his well-being moving forward and continues to affect his well-being. Uh, but witnessing her ability to um, assess her situation, uh, find a way to persevere both financially uh, keeping the household in order and also caring for, for uh, Russell the way that she was able to do uh, was really inspiring. Um, and, and when I look at that and when I hear that, um, the one thing that really stands out to me is, as far as something to take away from this as, as listeners um, would be to um, it really, it, it feels very similar to what you brought up, Chris. Um, not only uh, do these moments sometimes bring the best out of us, um, despite how difficult they may seem to be, um, there is help out there. Uh, in my experience, um, I was really embraced by um, a, a healthcare system that, you know, despite some shortcomings, really helped me to see my mother's, um, to see her live very comfortably moving forward. Um, and uh, even though these situations are extremely challenging, um, I would just echo what you brought up, which is to uh, be as diligent as you can and as sort of and 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 try to find some stick to itiveness when it comes to tracking down resources, opportunities, 
um, uh, whether they be government funded or or locally funded programs that can help you support your loved ones, because like you said, they do exist. Uh, and in many cases, uh, you never know how valuable they are until you until you give them a try, and, and you never know how much you needed them until you until you have them in your circle. So uh, something to definitely consider if you may be dealing with a situation like this. Thanks, Omari. And you know something that as I as I hear you speak that kind of lifted up for me is I, I remember Whitney and, and Russell talking about how this is their life. It's hard. There's struggle for sure, but also they're still enjoying life. They still have all the joys that anyone else does. And that's, that's such an important message too. Like they, they weren't asking for sympathy, right? They were asking for a platform just to share their story and who they are and what they go through. But that, that totally hits home for me too. I, I remember once where my family was somewhere and uh, a, a person comes up to us and it's just like the look on the person's face was just like, I'm gonna, I, you know, what a horrible thing. I'm going to pray for you and all this other stuff, which I'm not saying that we would say like, oh, don't pray for us in general. Like, it's not about that, but more like the implication was like, oh, what a horrible thing you're all going through and and I hope it gets better. And the reality of it is, is like, this was pretty much my entire life. It was my parents' adult life, right? Um, and some of the most amazing moments in, in my own life wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the reality of our situation with my brother's condition. Things like being able to, my little brother had a wish granted by Make-A-Wish in the early 90s. And my parents never thought that was possible, that they'd be able to go there and yet ended up returning to, to Disney World, uh, which is where what his wish was, on a number of occasions after that. And like, these are things that, you know, a quote unquote normal type of situation may not have had that opportunity. So I, I think that was just also instructive of just kind of hearing in Russell and Whitney's uh, Russell and Whitney's story of just it's more complicated than just yeah there's struggle but like that's not necessarily the defining moment at any given moment. Absolutely, um, and I like the the positive spin there. And it remind when I heard you speaking, uh, I was reminded of a piece of advice that I got from a, a very close friend of mine who had also gone through a, a similar hardship, right? Around the same age that I uh, am was when I was dealing with this. Um, I was, maybe it wasn't obvious in my initial uh, uh, kind of back and forth with him, but it, but I think what he took from my, my tone and my like general disposition was that I was like sad or, or feeling that this situation wasn't fair, that I, being as young as I am was, had to deal with something like this. And what he told me was, um, you know, maybe maybe consider a different, a different attitude. Maybe consider the idea that this is a privilege, right? Like you get to be your mother's caretaker um, as she, you know, uh, you know, retires into the last parts of her life. Like you, you get, you have the honor of, of bringing her comfort and prosperity the same way that she did for you when you were a, a small person, when you were an infant, when you were a baby, when you were a child, 
like what like that's an honor like when you think about it from that perspective uh, despite the struggle despite the stress despite the responsibility that it is like what a beautiful scenario what a beautiful opportunity that is to repay your parents and in that intimate of a way um, and that really helped me that helped my perspective especially in some of those moments where I was you know you know I mentioned before like you know taking my mother's health and 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 condition into my own hands, um, into the hospital and like being there for her, being there and being able to, um, to embrace her the same way that she had always done for me. Right. So like that was really an awesome feeling. Um, you know, when, when I sort of, when I changed the way that I thought about it. So, so yeah, I mean, like you said, this, that, that, that is your life. Right. And, and this has been part of my life moving forward as well. Uh, and I think that all things considered, I have grown in a way that I don't know I would have had I not had this opportunity. Well, thank you for sharing your story, Omari. I'd like to personally thank Russell and Whitney for sharing their story and just inspiring me to to share mine. Um, I haven't had really a much of an opportunity throughout this podcast to share too sure. much about my personal story, but this felt like a a nice connection to that. So uh, thanks for your thoughts, Amari. Absolutely. And thank you as well, uh, Whitney and Russell. We appreciate your story and your journey, and we wish you the best moving forward. Well, that's a wrap on episode 15. Special thanks to Hero for our theme song. A quick request. Would you be willing to share your thoughts about this and future episodes? To complete our audience survey, please see the show notes or visit www.greenpath.com slash realstories and click on the purple Take the Survey button. Here's hoping each of you enjoy your journey of financial wellness as much as your destination. Welcome back, Hero.